Lost and Sound is sponsored by Audio Technica. Audio Technica are a global but still family run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones, studio quality, yet affordable products because they believe that high quality audio should be accessible to all. And I'm speaking to you right now wearing the M50X headphones. They're for the studio, they're for every day. I speak to all my guests wearing these headphones. Um, but whatever way you like to listen, head on over to audiotechnica.com to check out all of their range of stuff. Welcome to Lost and Sound. I'm Paul Hamford, I'm your host. I'm a writer and author based in Berlin, where I'm speaking to you now from. And this is the show where each episode I have conversations with the musical innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their own unique thing. And we talk about music, creativity, life, basically the things that inspire us to make the things that we make. Previous guests have included Peaches, Suzanne Ciani, Jim O'Rourke, Chili Gonzalez, Hani Arani, Ghost Poet, Cozy Funny Tutti, Graham Coxon, Sleaford Mods, Mickey Blanco, and Thurston Moore. And today on the show, I have a chat with the DJ and producer Simo Sell. My book, Coming to Berlin, is available in all good bookshops or via the publisher's website, Velocity Press. And Lost and Sound is now a Substack too. There's a link in the podcast description. Um, so yes, thank you so much for tuning in today. And, and my apologies to listeners, any of you who were waiting for the show last week that never happened. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. And I apologize about that. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's, I try to keep things real. That's really important to me for this show. And sometimes someone, you're about to interview is sick or or I'm sick or the Zoom doesn't work properly. You know, there can be great time differences in the world between where we're being, where we're speaking to people or I'm speaking to people from. Uh, the Zooms can distort sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes things just go wrong. Sometimes our own personal bandwidths get push to the max and we just have to scope back that week it's no bother and sometimes that happens and that happened last week and um i would rather just keep interviews authentic and real and put stuff out when it's right and so that happens sometimes so that's just by way of explaining what happened last week but we're back and i'm so pleased with this interview it's with simo Sal. Paris-based producer and DJ hailing originally from Nantes in France. I hope I've pronounced that right. Um, and for a long time, he, the reputation that he's built up solidly over the last decade, within that, people made this presumption quite often that he was from the UK. His sound does take 
quite strong elements of UK bass culture. I wouldn't say he's someone that is, is you know, he, his music is way beyond one thing, but there is definitely strong traces in terms of the beat, the production, the preciseness of elements of UK bass culture. And, and um, a lot of people are quite surprised, still are quite surprised that he's actually French. Um, so strong is the connotation with certain kinds of beats and rhythms that it is going to come from the UK, which is kind of crazy, really. But there you go. And I wasn't actually particularly aware of his work. I'm not the biggest follower of the UK bass sound, I have to admit. I prefer my dancing uh, my dancing sounds to have a 4-4. That's just me. Um, but I came to his work very recently with his stunning debut album, Cuspid de Siwan. And I, again, apologise if I pronounce it wrong, which has just come out. Um, so I missed the EPs, the mixes the club sets that he's been doing and building a solid reputation over the last decade. And yes, this is an album album, Cuspid de Sirens. Um, and Simo, like other DJ producers at that point where they are just releasing their debut album, finds himself in this unusual it's like a point in a, in a DJ slash producer's career artistically and professionally where their debut album is coming out or they've been working on their debut album or they're about to work on their debut album. And it's a transformative moment because up until that point, they have been playing sets. They have been making EPs or individual tracks and putting an album together is a completely different kettle of fish. It is, it's the point in some ways where you go from uh, an artist that is exploring your foundations and your surroundings to making a kind of concrete statement because regardless of what people say or whatever's going on in the world or whatever new innovation is going on, the long player, the LP, the album is still, I think, it is for me and I think for, for most of us sort of regarded as like an artistic statement. It is the point where we take what we've had before and we go to a wider world. You know, this is the point where people that are beyond the immediate scene kind of dive in and, and explore this artist's work. And it is the opportunity for the artist to say something. And sometimes it's not just about collecting a series of bangers or, or doing sometimes the opposite approach where a DJ slash producer will do the exact opposite and make like an ambient record or something like that but they're both very very valid approaches but what simo cell does is is just create something i think timeless and so yeah i was really 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 excited to have this chat with him um and yes this is what happened this is a really good chat i really love this um you're gonna hear it right now Thanks so much for chatting with me today. How are you doing? Are you feeling better now? I, I, you had a bit of a cold last week or a bit, a bit ill. Yeah, it's uh, just uh, the result of a month of, of really, yeah, it was a really intense month. And yeah, I, I did like a lot of festival recently. So yeah, it was just a lot of partying as well, which 
and the promo the promo for the album everything at the same time which makes me yeah feel really sick last weekend yeah i i understand that i think it's sort of as a as a you know you're both a producer and a dj and i think you know that's quite a lot to navigate as well isn't it like cuz they are like two totally different skill sets in a way that are kind of combined together how, yeah. how do you how do you feel that you navigate both both of these and kind of combine them it's yeah it's really hard actually uh, it's a good question because as you said it's like really two different lives um mm. and and they put you in very different mindset we were talking about it recently with uh, Thomas Camille and Nick Leon that when you're in a studio it's like the, the, you're just focused on it and you're just can't thinking about it all the time even like when you sleep like you're having thoughts about the music going on and it's really hard to communicate with people you're in your cave in a way and being a dj is basically the com- the complete opposite you have mm-hmm. to you know it's just there is a lot of social moments you have to be here you have to be uh, always uh, on top form also like it makes sense because like when someone wants to book you a, can be like a, a crew who is really passionate passionate about music and then when they book you they, they want you they want to talk with you of course and they want to share moments and even for me it's the best thing to do when i go to party and i play um if i have time to speak with a, a crew or a promoter it makes my dj set even better because like Every crew has his own personality and you can feel it on a dance floor. So talking with promoters and spending time with them, listening to music or yeah, gives you some idea of what you're going to play. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you have to give everything when you're uh, touring. And so it's hard to just be on the studio from let's say Monday afternoon to Thursday and then take a train or a plane and go from Friday to Sunday on parties. And yeah, just have, you you just have to switch like this. Um, I would say the best way to do it would be to have moments. Let's say like one moment in the studio, one month in the studio, mm-hmm. making only music, and then touring a month and do something like that. But I've never really managed to do it. It's very hard to find <laughs> the balance. <laughs> I think I think it's definitely something that ideally we would plan to have, but just yeah. the way we all have schedules, it never quite works out like that, and we have to just kind of run with what we've got a lot of the time. Don't exactly, we? it's I think like you learn uh, to say no after some point. At the beginning, it's impossible, also because you have to show that you're here. You, you are, when you start your career, you have to yeah be present, be active. But at some point, you can start to say no to some gigs, and you realize they won't like like bookers or promoter will uh, call you again. But still, some when you have like a very special opportunity, you don't want to miss that. And sometimes you say, no, I will be off for the next three weeks. And then you have this big op- opportunity coming. You're like, uh, okay, maybe I will, <laughs> I will do it. <laughs> and yeah, also like sometimes, you know, I've got requests six months in advance and you're like, and it's just question like, Hey, do you want to play in in Asia in six months? And it's really hard to project things and say, and know in which mood you you're going to be at that time. Mm. So yeah, sometimes it's just hectic because you accept you you accept too many gigs in a row, and then you're just in a tunnel when when you don't know how to manage all these things. Um, 
So yeah, I think with time you you manage to yeah you learn how to deal with that a bit a bit more I would say. And also you have to keep in mind that it's not never perfect. You know, it's also mm-hmm. about accepting that as you said, it like trying to do maybe two months off, two months touring is like in utopia. Sometimes it will happen, but some other it's normal, it's intense. Like for example, right now I'm like touring, doing a tour for my album, having a promo campaign at the same time. So at that time, it's just normal that it's intense, you know? Yeah. And do you find that you have to let go of a little bit of the idea of things being perfect then too? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's the same. It's uh, It takes, I think it's a, a big journey running to i mean especially with my education i always have this thing about like perfection i'm trying to be like yeah i'm a bit of a control freak mm. then you realize that i mean perfection doesn't really exist it's just in your head in a way and mm. but yeah it takes time it's just like a pattern like a habit of thinking that even with my music is the same sometimes you go way too far in details and you just realize it's not really that important sometimes details matters but sometimes they, they doesn't matter that much same it's about the balance mm. like for yeah it's a different topic but if we speak about perfection uh i was talk about this story with hodge i was making music with hodge uh, the bristol artist from liberty mm. so we did a collab ep two years ago and hodge is like really spontaneous if he doesn't finish a track in two days, then he will just forget about it and mm-hmm. try another one. And I'm quite the opposite. When I have an idea, a very specific idea, it can take, I don't know, two, three, four weeks to finish it because sometimes I know you still need to dig. And when we make, we made the tracks, there was one track which, which was sounding really good. And Hodge was tol- telling me like, this is it. We don't have to touch it anymore. Mm. And I was, no, I think we can get like deeper. And I spent two weeks for nothing, just trying to add details. And it was just a, a complete loss of time. And Hodge was like, see, I told you. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but on another track, which this is what was funny, like on another track, we had this track, this was cool, but I think it could be better. And Hot was like, no, it's okay, it's done. And I kept working on it for a few days. And I really managed to make the most of it and improve the sound. Mm-hmm. So on one track, he was right. On the other one, I was so I just realized, you know, yeah, it's you never know it's always case by case. And it's this this thing about perfection sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you have to just give a bit more of work. Sometimes it's just uh, you have to let it back, to let it go. So it's really hard to, yeah, it's it's a matter of time, I would say. I think so too. And, and I think it's because it's, you know, although like technique and science are very much involved in, 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 in elements of production and, and music, there's also like, we're, we're judging it through our senses of intuition as well, isn't there? And there's no real definitive textbook on intuition and, and, what feels right to us and you know so it's like yeah sometimes we have to try things that don't work and other times something will just happen that works before we even realized it's worked yeah definitely it's really about intuition and this is what you like the way you can 
progress on the direction is just like by making just experience in a way making mm. more music i think though there is there is something that can help though it's like just the amount of time you spend behind a screen or just the, the amount of the amount of time you spend walking this is definitely the more you're walking if you st if you spend like 10 hours behind uh, your computer making music you start to be you start to feel a bit um your mind is a bit blurry in a way mm. so to help that intuition to to make to to help to make good choices it's about also take a lot of breaks and yeah. you know like if you just make music for 5 hours a day which is already a lot then you give your brain a bit more space on the other time just to breathe and being peaceful in your mind helps to just realize and to yeah step back and say okay now i'm going too far because when you just when you keep walking keep walking then you invested so many so much time that you want to keep going you know because if you mm. stop then it's like um yeah like no i can't stop now i need to finish that idea so there is this feeling of impatience in a way yeah definitely it's like i think we have to realize that we're when we're working we're giving stuff uh, we're yeah. taking stuff taking stuff out of ourselves and so naturally that's going to run out and you need to you know take breaks have fresh air do other things to to feed the energy back in uh to then put out again <laughs> yeah exactly uh, yeah yeah there is this thing it's uh called it's a theory called um the spiral of investment oh i don't know that no that's cool what is that about it's like the more you invest invest time on something, the more you're willing to to finish it, even if it's not a good idea. You know, like let's say you spend three weeks on a track, even if it's not a good track, you already spent three weeks, so you have to finish it because mm -hmm. it would be like a, a waste of time in your head. You know, so yeah, this the spiral of investment. The yeah, I think this is the exact name. Yeah, it's just like something you need to be really uh aware of of it sometime just to step back mm. like for example when i make music uh as i want to keep things spontaneous and also as i know that I'm, i can really fall into that uh, trap mm. um, i always work on let's say two or three tracks at the same time and i have like a very clinical process like i have a timer and I, I work for 45 minutes to, yeah, 45 minutes on a track. Mm -hmm. Then I do like a 10 minute break. And then I do 45 minutes on another track, not the same mm -hmm. one. And then again, an, a third track. So this way I forget about the idea before and I'm still, I'm, I'm always fresh. Mm -hmm. And I know I just have 45 minutes to make the most of this session. And I do maximum five sessions of 45 minutes a day. This way I, I can like just give some space to my, to my brain. Yeah. Some headspace basically. And, um, this way I have like so many tracks going on. Let's say I worked on an ID and I won't be too precious at thing. I won't be too precious at IDs mm -hmm. because I have so many ideas going on. Like I can just leave this one and take another one and maybe it's just like some samples that we use for something else then i can merge some project together so this is one trick i found to just help you know not losing too much too much time yeah uh, so yeah limitation time limitation mm -hmm. and another one is uh so i use lots of plugins 
And sometimes you have demo version of plugins when you just have 30 minutes to make a sound, you know? Mm. So instead of buying the plug, I, I, I keep the demo version because I just have 30 minutes to make a sound and I know after it, it's going to cut and then I record it. So yeah, this is some kind of really like a simple tricks that I use just to keep spontaneous. Otherwise I can spend, I, I could really spend four or five hours just on sound designing a snare drum or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a, that's a really clever, good tip because I think it's sometimes it's about not necessarily it's knowing what we're like. And so it's like sort of putting in structures. So to best suit us as well, isn't it? Because I guess also one of the different, one of the, perhaps the major difference between electronic music, being an electronic music producer and say like a traditional producer of live instruments uh, or, or like of that's brought in to produce a band is that you're doing everything mostly. Whereas like, you know, a band will like, or a classical singer will have like a producer that kind of comes in and does all of that stuff. You know, they'll, yeah. they'll be the one that measures it all, you know, they'll have their stopwatch and their, you know, their eye on how much studio time there is. Whereas you you have to have these things as, a, as an electronic music producer to get the work done and also get the best results out of your work as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's something you don't really realize when you start uh, making music in this tiny world of like uh, electronic music world. It's the only place where uh, producers, artists are making everything by uh, on their own, as you said. Mm. Like if you look at pop records, the credits, the credits lines are huge, for example. Mm. And um, also if, if you're not doing your mix down on your own in the electronic music world, it's it's seen as something very uh, negative in a way, mm. where at, at the end, you can really work with people. And it's not a, like, for example, on the album, this is the first time I worked with uh, uh, someone on the mix downs. And I'm really happy about it because you can just focus on, it's just about also learning how to, meet the good people and the, the people you are going to have like a good connection with. Mm. So yeah, there is really this thing, like I was talking with some rap uh, producers and they didn't really understood why it was like this. And it's something like, it's a complete nonsense for them. Like, why are you doing everything from start to finish? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. it's like a very artisan trade, isn't it? Basically, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but it's really good that in the end. It's mm. like when you can just master the process from beginning to the end. Till the end, it's just it feels really like uh, satisfying in a way. Where totally. It, like if you compare it to rap producing, it's really mm. frustrating sometimes. Like you have just you make you make like a loop or. It's just about making loops first and then like mm -hmm. on the loop, maybe they will just keep like one snare or one kick drum of your, of your music. So it's just a different process. As you say, it's more like a industrial in a way. Yeah. Like you, you're, you're supplying something, you're making shoelaces that go on a really good pair of shoes or something like that. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And like, the, I mean, cause there is like with, with the album as well. And I, I have to apologize being English, my, pronunciation of French is fucking appalling. Uh so I apologize, but Caspid de Sirion? How do yeah, I perfect. Oh, oh wow. Okay. First time <laughs> luck. <laughs> but I love the album and there's so much detail and attention to detail and things like 
space involved in it like everything feels very sort of precise yeah um you know I, I, was this very conscious for you to kind of do something that to me it sounds kind of like almost like architectural but you know you have things happening in certain spaces like I, I feel the shapes of the sounds when I'm listening I mean what what was it you were sort of sonically aiming for with with the record yeah I'm trying to um... So, like production-wise, uh, I I spend a lot of time on elements just mm. to yeah. The more simple is the track in the end, uh, the better it is for me. So, just about trying to be minimalist, minimalistic as possible, even if it's even if there is a lot of ha- a lot of things happening. Uh, it's mainly texture and stuff in the background, but like the elements are like yeah. I'm really focusing on elements to make yeah the, to make them some the best as possible it's mm-hmm. to me like the um, it's not about the sounds but more about the silence between the sounds mm-hmm. so the more you can give space and sil- s- silence between sounds the more the sounds uh, just ha- happens naturally yeah if it makes sense yeah way. yeah no I, I get i get an impression i get an impression of that anyway when I, i'm listening to it and i do i definitely think silence is quite a brave thing to play with as well isn't it yeah. because we have a tendency to want to fill silence <laughs> did yeah, that take yeah, a yeah. bit of time to sort of step back and let the silence kind of speak for itself definitely yeah it's um so my, my dad is a, a classical guitarist player and actually it's it's something he told me like a long time ago and it was uh, like a big uh, revelation to me because he said like i don't play notes i like it's i play with silence and then the notes comes it's crazy so he never, never speak about the next note or like what's going to happen when he's playing he's just speaking about like the silence between the notes and then the notes happens so yeah it's what to think it's not you're just you're not thinking about the next four bars of the what's going to happen but just what's here now and how to make it sound properly yeah yeah i, I can feel like so you 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 your uh your dad was a musician was he yeah so you you grew up in a musical environment then so yeah both my parents mm. are uh guitarists um mm. uh, guitar player yeah mm. um so my dad is like yeah he's quite well respected and has like a big he still has a, a big career he's touring uh for like i don't know 40 years uh, wow and he's a he's a solist he's playing a solo on stage um he's a, an interpret basically playing music from yeah other composers um and yeah the way he interprets music is just you can really feel his touch in a way like uh, he's always him trying to revisit some some artists so there is the work of the right of the writer but also the work of the interpret is so important mm. like the best of the music you know which is a bit different in electronic music but yeah i mean i grew up in listening to guitar every day when i was when i woke up at my my dad uh studio was just close to my bedroom so just waking up and listening to music uh, following my parents in festival during the summer, listening to a lot of uh, artists, but mostly guitar, classical guitar. And my dad is from Argentina, so he has all this um, uh, folk music background from Argentina, playing tango and uh, uh, milongas and stuff like that. Mm. So yeah, this is basically my background and 
the way he was playing also he used to in, in his repertoire he used to play a lot of classical stuff like really classical and like bar baroque music or renaissance mm. music but also really modern stuff so uh, always a combination uh of yeah the first part would be pretty like conservative and the other part the second part of the concert would be like really modern sometimes even abstract or contemporary yeah do you feel like he was into both of those equally or did you feel that there was more of a pull towards one or the other i think it uh it, it went he went through phases um mm. when he started his career he has to you when you start you need to uh get um you need to get um accepted by your peers basically right yeah. oh yes yeah so peer yeah. peer recognition exactly peer recognition. yeah yeah so when he started it was more into like the, the really classical stuff baroque renaissance mm. a bit of contemporary stuff but no uh folk music at all because it, the music from argentina his music from argentina was seen as something you know like a fantasy or something like that but not something serious in a way mm. um and so he was mostly playing the yeah the classical repertoire even some music from back and stuff mm -hmm. like that and actually at that time Dutch gramophone the big label came to him to release an album focused on Argentinian music wow and yeah said, yeah and he said no really why not because he was like no yeah, they're, they're not taking me seriously I'm ah. a real artist la 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 yeah. and now it's like something a bit taboo like it's really hard to speak about it because now is after like uh, 10 years of doing this he started to just you know develop his identity and also go back to his roots and now this is something that is really is pushing it like even more than the classic stuff like all the folk stuff is something really important right now in his repertoire so if you think about it now it's like uh maybe i should have done it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i guess it's the journey of life as well exactly really? yeah yeah, yeah. And that's that's really interesting you're saying that as well because um there's a few bits that i've read of interviews of yours in the past as well and 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 reviews and stuff where I was talking about like because you know I'd say like your music I don't I'm not really a big fan of categorizing music at yeah. all but there are sort of commonalities where it's easy to sort of discuss things in a certain way and you know there's a you know there's a lot of elements of bass music in in your music and um um I I heard that you know you've in the past people have kind of presumed when they've listened to your music that you've been like a UK based producer yeah. quite a bit as well. And obviously there's a lot of kind of connotations that come with certain sounds and way outlooks and ways of doing things that the UK based scene has. And do you feel like in terms of like relating to like your dad as well, do you feel like sort of that's something that you feel that like you want to, is that something that you're, you like to embrace or is that something that you've always felt that you wanted to kind of go, hang on a minute, no, I'm not? So I think at first I really embraced it because mm. um, uh, eight, ten years ago as a DJ and a producer, I was really on my own little island in France. I was kind of, it was, it was rest, re really rare to do it. Like people mm. used to call me the most English sounding French person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Also, like because I was signed on this uh, on Liberty Sun, like this label from Bristol, and mm. I was uh, the only French artist, the non-Bristolian artist signed on this uh, on this label. So at first, I, it looks like uh, 
a new pattern in a way, like a, mm -hmm. like an exotic thing, like this French guy on this really Bristolian label. So it really helped me. Like what's, mm. what's happening? Uh, what is happening there? It was a surprise in a way. So I think compared to if I, if I would if I would have been British at that time, it would have been a bit slower in my career. So having this thing helped me a lot. But uh, now things have really evolved and the steel I defend is getting picked, I would say, picked up uh, and spread by a lot of uh, artists, both in France and worldwide, even the way I'm mixing and DJing across mm. doing like a, a mixings of different styles. It's like something uh, which is now here. And um, I really feel that now this best, this base label, this base uh, image I have is a bit, uh, this is something I, I, I don't really like anymore. I don't feel I'm a base artist. Base is like mm. my heritage and it's part of it, but it's so, it's much more than that, I would say. Also, it's really strange because everything that is not 4 uh, 4, 4 4 club music mm. is seen as base of breaks. Yeah, it's this like kind of duality between four four club music versus the other stuff, and all the other stuff are break or alternative, and it's more, much more than that. I would say there is so much like different rhythm, so much different mm. tempo, so much different uh, yeah sonic aesthetics, but still, if it's not four four, it's just the other this this box where everything is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, I live in Berlin as well. And like, I think although things are getting a lot more diverse in, in Berlin in, in terms of uh, being able to go out and experience music that isn't just 4-4 all of the time, there is still that kind of thing that, you know, when when uh, producers and DJs come in that play music that isn't on the 4-4, it is seen as being different, you know, yeah. market, marketedly different and stuff. But I think that's a good thing, though, isn't it? It's a good thing to sort of show your differences and sort of... Definitely. But the thing is, is that, for example, I've some of my favorite techno sets I've seen recently were made by artists that I've uh, seen as uh, alternative artists. So mm. it's not because you're like a bass you're seen as a bass or break artist or non 4-4 mm. that you can't do, that you can't play techno, you know? Mm. And I mean, I love playing all kinds of groove, including 4-4. Mm. And just the thing is, I love building bridges between different culture and aesthetics. So, but I can play hard, I can play soft, and it's just about improvisation and poetry on the dance floor, like how to bring tension, contrast, mm. story. And um, I think if you if being seen as uh, as a yeah alternative or experimental DJ is something a bit sad in a way because I mean it's nice to feel difference as you to mm. to show difference in a way, but there is so many tech, techno club I know I would uh, I, I could do the job like properly and mm. I'm not really invited there because it's like uh, yeah, it would be seen as a risk but i can really also play this kind of, uh really I'm, I'm a big fan of detroit techno uh, and hard techno and hard stuff it's just like yeah one dimensional view i would say lead to conformity that's the thing always mm. 
Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with that in terms of my experiences and, and sort of noticing again. I, again, I think it's it's that kind of thing of like I do understand the need for people to label things, but I don't as an as an artist, it does feel very constrictive to sort of yeah. be on the other end of that experience of like you know the artists are the people that are making the stuff, yeah. <laughs> yet at the same time they're put in the boxes by people that aren't necessarily making the stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's yeah, as you said, it's a natural process. We all do do like try to put things in boxes because it helps to yeah, it helps to see it clear more clearly. Mm. So I think it's also about accepting accepting it in a way. You're always you will always be put in a box. Like even yeah, because it, it's so with this really like a versatile way of playing in a, a, a DJ set. I thought I was really free to do what I want. Like if I want to play techno one night, I can do it. But the thing is now if I go to a club and some people come to see me and then if I play a really like a, if I start, if I decide to do a statement, just like a techno DJ set, mm. people would come to me and say like, Hey, you didn't do tempo shift and you didn't, <laughs> even if you play a lot of stuff, then you have this uh, image of like, it's no matter what you do, you will have like, you will be in the box for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and talking of boxes, um, um, I don't know if this is a box, but uh, you were at Trezor the other week, and I always think of yeah. Trezor. Trezor is like a cage, isn't it, in, in terms of the German word for it. How, how was that? Was that an amazing experience, or how did that go? Yeah, yeah, because it was also... So I played... Sorry, Atonal, sorry, Atonal, yeah. Yeah, Atonal, yeah. So I... Atonal is always really uh, a mm. specific moment, a uh, very special moment for me. I know quite well the festival. I've been playing there since 2016 every year. Mm. And they gave me this opportunity when I was a young DJ. I was at the start of my career to play and to play there, which is something really special for uh, a festival, quite unique because mm. Atonal can is like a huge festival and, everyone, and there's a lot of people coming to discover new artists and they book really low-key artists which is something mm -hmm. I really like about this festival and you can really feel the crowd is it's like yeah they, they're really here to be surprised in a way mm. so this is one of the gig I I, I, I wait uh, I, I wait a lot of every time I, I, I got the booking for this uh, for this festival I, I, I keep thinking about it like for months and months because I really I can't wait to play to this festival and yeah it was as as always it's really a specific really very specific experience you can play basically whatever you want and which is in Berlin sometimes can be quite hard to do you know totally and I think that's what I love about Atomel as well is that it is people go people go because they want to sort of experience the music, you know, and that they're, they're, you know, I mean, obviously say like if uh, uh, um, something totally pop happened, it might kind of, bit of, a, I, I think people probably even enjoy that so long as it didn't turn, you know, but that there, there's a context that allows people to kind of, uh, people trust the artist, they trust yeah. the curators and they trust the artist really, which is really, really nice thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is why you see really, really like unusual things at Trezor. For example, uh, mm. on Saturday night, I saw a really, really deep uh, drum and bass set at Trezor from three to five, which mm. was wow. Okay. From, uh, Catatonic Silencio in December. 
uh, and it was like a fantastic experience. Also because you this 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 uh, spot, this venue that you that you know by heart, you come there and you discover it in a, in a different context, which makes yeah. it better too. Because you rediscover the place, you know. Mm. Yeah, seeing Trezor with this yeah really deep groovy dubstep where liquid sound was an amazing experience because this is not what you're supposed to get over there you know yeah which kind of echoes back into what you know you were saying just now as well about like you know we were talking about like there are limitations but when people can be really surprised and find something really rewarding when something in that shifts something in a place that we expect something does something different for example oh yeah definitely yeah. I, I kind of get the sense that you know you're talking about like the journey aspect there's something quite meditative as well about like your work even though it is kind of in some ways it's quite a tough sound at some points and it's very sort of precise there's also this feeling of like going on a journey in a meditative aspect and i know you've spoken in the past about eckhart toll as well and yeah. um and it's quite interesting because i read the power of now about five years ago as well yeah. and you know and i think it's definitely one of and, and i i i was wanted to ask you about that because it was something that for me at the time left a huge impression then i had some questions about it afterwards then i sort of came to a sort of a, more of a kind of uh i'm okay with it but it it's not been a straightforward journey i'd love the idea of viewing things in a in the present and that the past has happened and the future is yet to come and um but you know that it is a complicated thing and i was i was wanting to know what you, your take was about it really yeah so um uh i discovered Eckhart Tolle like i don't know 10 years ago when I had like, um, I, I had panic attacks mm. and this is how I discovered this book, which was talking about, uh, Zen technique and meditation and how to step back from your thoughts. And, and it helped a lot actually, because you, when you, when you, uh, when you have a panic attack, it's just like your mind is just giving you it's like a trap in a way like it's never ending yeah it's a loop isn't it i've, I've had that yeah. before yeah yeah it's a loop it's a constriction it's a constriction like a big structure and it's it's like a layer another layer and it keeps mm. adding some thoughts and like it's just playing with your insecurities and fears sometimes um so it's helped just to yeah step back from it realize that it's a process in itself and mm. it's happen and it's not you so mm. I would say like, um, yeah, uh, the book helped me a lot. And the thing is that I started to see my life through that one angle, through that book, because it helped me to just, uh, yeah, I, I went through all those panic attacks thanks to this book. So once you have this, it's like an answer. It brings an answer. And then because Eckhart Tolle is talking about also about enlightenment and trying to be pure and even sometimes uh, trying to be neglecting emotions. There is this thing mm. in Buddhism, in a way, like emotion are they're distracting you in a way. So seeing the life through that one angle from Eckhart Tolle, I started to just, my only goal was to just trying to be enlightened in a way, you know, it's mm. like, you try to, it's like a, when you're not feeling good, you're, you're looking for a way to escape. And I yeah. think I was trying to escape from myself. So I started to neglect my emotions in a way. Um, yeah, I took it to a very dangerous extreme, I would say. Mm. 
every time I was feeling bad, I felt like it was my own responsibility. You know, when I was sad, I was like, hey, it's my fault because I can't deal with it. And the thing that it can be really dangerous with the cat today, I would say, is that it's really, it's really speak about only yourself. There's no, there is nothing said about the context around you. And we are living in a different context and in a very uh, yeah, hard context at the moment. Mm. And um, the, in the book, they say like, everything relies on you. you. You have the power to be free from your mind and la la la. So it's really like um, individualistic in a way. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes it's just normal to feel bad and to have anger and it's also about emotion. And this trying to look for purity is can be very dangerous in a way because you start to, you want to be, to, to reach this, this state of being a god in a way. Mm. Well, we just have to keep in mind that we're just humans and all these emotions are beautiful, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I was really trapped at some point in mm. this pattern of thinking. Um, just because I think Eckhart Tolle also makes you feel you're on a higher level. It makes you feel special. Mm. And let's say if someone would disagree with me, uh, I wouldn't really listen to 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 him thinking to myself like they would that he would probably he couldn't really understand that because it was not on the same level so you know there is this kind of trick when yeah you just hide and you I was I've, I started to feel isolated because I was thinking yeah. no one can understand me and I'm just trying to reach that goal which is more important than everything and the f the first message is about being in the present, which is amazing. Which mm. at some point you just forget about it because you're just trying to reach that step in the future. Mm. Um, so I was neglecting even music. It was like, no, music is not that important. The more important is just trying to reach that state of um, constant constant joy. Yeah. Um, but in the end, you realize that everything is impermanent, and even the best feeling they end, and it's just like these waves of emotion going. And anger is one of it. Happiness is one of it. Being peaceful is one of it. But it's just moving all the time. So to me, it's more about how you maintain to to have like a balanced brain and mm. just to have like way less. Uh, the waves can be really hard, you know, like big, uh, big joy and then uh, big uh, fear or anything. And the more you maintain balance, the more you can just, you know, enjoy peacefulness because the waves are, are a bit more like quiet in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I relate to a lot of what you're saying, saying though, I think I had similar experiences as well, where um, it was on, on one level as well. It was almost like, I think they kind of call it like a spiritual bypass as well, where, you know, I, I felt like I wanted to sort of be in this state all of the time. Yeah. And um I was neglecting certain aspects of reality. You know, it was almost like I, you know, there was a there was a period quite early on where I just didn't pay bills for for a, a couple of months because I was just thinking, oh, that's just material stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I was thinking something, or you know, like I don't, you know, I, I I'll do that when it feels right to do that. You know, and yeah. um, and you know, and and I think it's also, you know, like sort of maybe being, sh I was maybe being short with people rather than being entirely empathetic 
even though I kind of felt I was being empathetic to people, yeah, I think yeah. like, cause I wanted to, I thought like if people were basically giving me what I viewed as negative energy, I would cut them off rather than listening to them, you know? And, and although I think it is good to kind of preserve our energy from people who perhaps do have an, a, a harmfulness about them at the same time, I took it really too far and perhaps like, you know, if a friend was sort of saying they had a bad week at work, I'd be going, yeah, but you just got to tune into like, you know, yeah. the, rather than like give them like, you know, be there and be listening and being a friend really. <laughs> exactly. And you're like, ah, oh, time doesn't exist anymore. Like, like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, if, you but it, if you can't catch this train, then you can catch the other one. But I'm working at six tomorrow. Oh, no, it's just in your head, you know. And I yeah. know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you, you feel like you've uh, you've come to terms with that now and found like a, an element of it that you can use that is more based in the in sort of like the ups and downs and flows of, you know, accepting the kind of the, the badge as well as, as well as yeah. The- yeah, definitely. I think there are good things to to learn from it. It's just mm. like as you said, if you take it like too too seriously, it can be really dangerous. And also yeah, it's no one can really uh help you to go out of it. You have to realize it on your own that you're going too far. Because as mm. you, as we as I said before, you're just, just stuck in this trap of just like trying to because you're seeing you think you're just on a different level you know mm-hmm. and um even like because Eckhart Tolle is um he's is uh, uh describing himself as egoless and even like a god which makes it really hard to question his teaching mm-hmm. so, no he's right and I saw this video on YouTube when there was some QA with Eckhart Tolle and someone told, uh, asked him, "Have you ever regret uh, any anything you said?" And he said, "Like, mm, not really, because everything I say comes from the source. So it's not me that, that I'm talking. It's it's God through yeah. me. Yeah. And like, what kind of philosophy is it when there is not even like doubt? Doubting is so important in every kind of philosophy. And when yeah. you do this thing of when you pretend having telling very uh, like uh, the one unique verity then there is maybe something going wrong at some point mm. um, but yeah i broke free from the pattern in in 2020 i would say yeah randomly i went on a forum who was talking about sex uh, and there was a topic about Eckhart Tolle, and i clicked on it and they were like uh, describing all those uh, mental patterns like uh, even like this thing about dopes i was talking about uh, the the fact that uh, he's trying to yeah manipulate you in a way just in the book and i recognized myself in all the, mm. the messages i was like what the fuck is happening <laughs> that was me and then yeah it helped me yeah to it was like i i stepped out of, i went out of it just on on one day like this it was yeah. really brutal and then I think I lost confidence because I didn't even know how to react to react to my feelings anymore. Like, mm-hmm. should I accept them? Should I fight them? I was really lost. And yeah, at that time, music was like a therapy. I, I went back to what was important to, to what was really important to me, music. Mm-hmm. And yeah, every time I felt bad, because the thing is, when you feel bad, uh, when you feel insecure, and you 
when you have Eckhart Tolle on your side, for example, you still have this in mind, like it's a security in a way. It's like paradise. Mm. Even if I feel bad, I know that there is this kind of paradise when, where I will reach like a pure bliss or something like that. And when you go out of this pattern, then you're naked in a way, because when you're, you're feeling bad, you don't have anything to reassure you. You don't, you didn't have, you don't have this idea of enlightenment or anything to reassure you. So I was just lost, like, okay, when I feel bad, what what should I do? And I just, I was just making music all day, basically. And it helped me to to rebuild myself. That's beautiful. And you said 2020, though. So I, I guess, would that be around the sort of time of the pandemic as well, yeah. where there isn't much else to do? And so you must have, did you feel like that was something like, you know, that, that I mean, obviously, everything wasn't wasn't open at that time. Did you... So you put a lot of energy into the production and the music at that time as a way of also finding yourself again, do you say? Yeah, probably. Yeah. But yeah, I've never thought about that. But yeah, the when I broke free from the pattern, yeah, it's really interesting. It's really interesting to to think about the fact that it happened during the pandemic. Because yeah, also like when you're just running and rushing all the time, you just you keep going with the same uh, mental patterns, just like habits. And I think it helps you anyway because you you have so much time, as you say. And this is so, it had to happen at that time because, I mean, it helps that it happened at that time because I was, mm -hmm. uh, I was, uh, yeah, in a different routine, behaving differently. So it also helps to step back about what's going on on your, on your life and stuff like that. And yeah, also, as you said, then, I had so much time to make music, so I think, yeah, every because when I make music, I don't really think about anything. It's just like a very intuitive process. Yeah. So when I when I felt bad or insecure, or I was just okay. I, I'm gonna uh, open Ableton and do some music, and after that, it's gonna I'm gonna feel better. That's brilliant. And did did part of the album come out of that period as well? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So. In, in the last three years, since 2020, I composed over 50 tracks. Mm. So yeah, it's like, it was a music bulimia, basically. Yeah. Like an intense energy going inside me. And it was actually really hard to control it and to direct it. It was just everything, like music come out, no matter what, um, just pours out of me uh, naturally. Mm. Yeah. And because there's a concept behind the album as well. Yeah. That. And so did that kind of emerge at the same time or did that sort of, did you start to sort of pick out things that started to sort of feel like they fitted with this concept? No, like the concept happened, uh, came uh, two years after. Uh, mm -hmm. At the beginning, I didn't really know where to go, uh, especially when you make an album. Like uh, I'm a club I'm I'm seen as a club producer. I was a club producer before uh, before, so like I mostly do EPs, four tracks. So you, you don't really have to think too much about it. It's just functional music. It's made for the dance floor, and most of the time you have to. At some point, you have to uh, work on an album. Mm. So I, I, it was something I really wanted to do, but at the same time, I was really afraid because you don't want the album to be a collection of 12 bangers for a club, but at the yeah. same time, 
you don't want the album to be just a collection of ambient track and just because you have to do something more serious and okay now i'm gonna make music so i'll do ambient and it can be really empty so i was looking for yeah i didn't know where to start it's really also like i think people some people were waiting for it so there was this pressure around mm. the album in a way so instead of thinking too much about all this that just you know wrote a lot of tracks like yeah uh one after another without thinking too much about a direction and after like two years i had maybe 40 tracks and it was time for me to stop and just to step back and to think about what to do with all those tracks because i knew there were some tracks i really wanted to to put on the album, but the other I didn't know. So this is where I started to uh, think about a concept. Mm. And the concept helped me to just find a direction and select the last uh, 12 tracks for the album in a way. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken, a couple of artists recently have spoken about like the kind of concepts behind their albums as well, or EPs where they they did have like, you know, they had like a, a kind of concept, like you've got uh, like a story, um and it's they're sort of saying that it's sort of helped them almost like it's sort of helped them like it like the the album was like a building or a house and it helped them decorate the house you know know where exactly things go yeah this is the best image i would say yeah i, I will take it actually <laughs> yeah because like you don't i don't really want to say any, I don't want to yeah, share any message with my music, you know? It's mm. it's more emotions, and there is so many ways to listen to music, so one album can be perceived very differently from someone to another. So this is yeah. something I want to keep, like someone has his own version of, uh, or vision of the album. So if you start with a message and then make music, it's really different because you want people to agree to your message in a way you want to show something, which is definitely not the case. So I think, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, it's all about emotions and feelings when it comes to music. It's, I mean, music has been here for ages, even before words, like we started mm-hmm. to dance and to experience sounds before we started to, uh, to speak as human, as humans, you know? So, yeah, it's, it comes before, like before concepts or before intellectual things. It's more like a, yeah, a feeling. Yeah, I can imagine that's like, I mean, I don't know, I don't know enough about it, but like, you know, I think of things like Birdsong as well and stuff like that. Like, you know, that's, uh, that is, I mean, I at least my mum told me once that like birds are definitely singing. You know, it's not like the, it's not just a sound. It's like there is definitely singing going on there as a sort of form of communication. So, yeah, it is it's something that is, it goes beyond that. So we, you know, we attach our own meanings to it, what we hear. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I always, I also really like when people show meaning behind this, behind, mm-hmm. behind the music, but it's, it's there, like it's, it belongs to them, you know? But it's funny because sometimes people come to me and say like, oh, I saw this in your EP or I saw this on your album. Was it the case? And they're expecting me to validate uh, their like uh, uh, hypothesis. Mm. And I always say, yes, it was exactly this, you know. I always have <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah. they feel happy that it was, that uh, I validated in a way. But yeah, mm. 
no matter what someone will say about my music, I will say, yeah, this is exactly what it was, you know, because it's true, like it belongs to the, to anyone, to everyone. That's really nice way to do it as well, isn't it? And then like, because the, if you're doing that, you're not taking away someone's own experience of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So personal. Uh, it's like a personal experience. Everyone with headphones and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just a collective experience on the dance floor, but like listening to an album can be something really, like, yeah, individual and personal. Uh, and also, it's I think it's it fits to the way I make music. Like when I start making music, I open Ableton and I I don't really think about anything. I'm not I don't have any idea. I just start, and then depending on the mood I have, depending on the feeling, then I will just yeah try stuff and it happens spontaneously and it's really organic in a way mm. like you have one idea and then oh, a second one and then two or three or five and then it's like doors opening all the time but mm. but to open th- th- those doors ha- uh, arrived uh, after starting not, not before like uh, make not before like starting but just while I'm making it you know so yeah yeah, I, it's the same with me when I'm writing as well. I mean, obviously, if I'm writing like a, a some piece of journalism, that's different. But like, you know, with my, you know, with free writing, creative writing on my book, it is. It's like, yeah, you you see where it goes, even if there's like a sort of genre or something like that. You see where it goes, and is partly it's like my my relationship with the sound I make, the words I'm making at that time. Maybe it's the same with the relationship you have with the sounds at the time. It's like it becomes a dialogue where you're. You're, you're, you know, you're communicating with the sounds you're making, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's just like, you also, f- you also feel like uh, your brain is working at the same time and you're, and you're uh, yeah, making music, for example, or writing. So it's just, you have to push it a bit, to push your brain a bit, to just give it some a dynamic just to, for, for your brain to, to just start to yeah, give ideas in a way. Um, mm. Like if someone asked me like, uh, now try to be creative, give me an idea. Now I wouldn't be able to do yeah. it. It's yeah. just, you start from nowhere from a blank page and then it's, it happens like this. Totally, totally. It's it's not on tap. Yeah. yeah. It's a free uh, fall. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Simo, thank you so much. Thank you for chatting with me today. Thank, thank you. you very much. I was really, yeah. really happy about the, the interview. It was great chat. Great. Yeah, me too. I really enjoyed that. Okay, so that was me, Paul Hamford, talking with Simo Cell for Lost and Sound podcast. And we had that conversation on the 19th of September 2023. Thank you so much, Simo, for for sharing um, your thoughts and experiences there. I really, really, really enjoyed having that chat. Um, The debut album, Caspid de Siron, and again, I apologize about my pronunciation, is just out. um, And it's on the Temet label. Um, yes, yes. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for bearing with me last week when there was a no show. Uh, Lost and Sound is proudly sponsored by Audio Technica. Audio Technica are a global but still family-run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones. It's stuff that I really, really genuinely use. It's stuff that I'm speaking to you now from. Um, I'm hearing my voice right now wearing 
their headphones uh head on over to audiotechnica.com wherever you are in the world check out their stuff um i'd also like to say thanks to thomas giddens who does the music that you hear at the beginning at the end of every episode of lost in sound but mostly i want to thank you thank you for listening i hope you have a fucking brilliant day and i'll chat to you soon